December 3rd, 2018, Skype class that is on Isanga from Iskan, Hawaii. Bhagavatam 4, 4, 13. Na, not, Aishtaryam, wonderful, Atat, this, Yat, which, Asatsu, evil, Sarvada, always, Mahat Vininda, the deriding of great souls, Kunapa Atma Vadishu, among those who have accepted the dead body as a self. Sad Irshyam Envy Mahapurusha of great personalities Para Pamsubhi by the dust of the feet. Nirasta Tejasu, whose glory is diminished. Tut, that, Eva, certainly, Shobanam, very good. Shila Prabhupada's translation, it is not wonderful for persons who have accepted the transient material body as a self to engage always in deriding great souls. Such envy on the part of materialistic persons is very good because that is the way they fall down. They are diminished by the dust of the feet of great personalities. Shila Prabhupada's purport. Everything depends on the strength of the recipient. For example, Due to the scorching sunshine, many vegetables and flowers dry up and many grow luxuriously. Thus, it is the recipient that causes growth and dwindling. Similarly, Mahiya Sham Padarajo Bishekam, the dust of the lotus feet of great personalities, offers all good to the recipient, but the same dust can also do harm. Those who are offenders at the lotus feet of a great personality dry up, their godly qualities diminish. A great soul may forgive offenses, but Krishna does not excuse offenses to the dust of that great soul's feet. Just as one can tolerate the scorching sunshine on one's head, but cannot tolerate the scorching sunshine on one's feet. An offender glides down more and more. Therefore, he naturally continues to commit offenses at the feet of the great soul. Offenses are generally committed by persons who falsely identify with the impermanent body. King Daksha was deeply engrossed in a misconception because he identified the body with the soul. He offended the lotus feet of Lord Shiva because he thought that his body, being the father of the body of Sati, was superior to Lord Shiva's. Generally, less intelligent men misidentify in that way and they act in the bodily concept of life. Thus, they are subject to commit more and more offenses at the lotus feet of great souls. One who has such a concept of life is considered to be in the class of animals like cows and asses. yad mahad veninda kunapatmavadishu It is not wonderful for persons who have accepted the transient material body as a self to engage always in deriding great souls. Such envy on the part of materialistic persons is very good because that is the way they fall down. They are diminished by the dust of the feet of great personalities. 
So here we have Parapamsubhi, Mahapurusha Parapamsubhi, the dust on the feet of great personalities. So most people get some dust on their feet if they walk around barefoot or in sandals. Of course, in the modern day, in many parts of the world, people are wearing socks and shoes, so their feet aren't very dusty. I suppose they have dust on the bottom of their shoes. <laughs> but this is the, uh, the dust on the devotee's feet. So this dust on the feet of the devotee is very powerful, and generally it acts powerfully in a very good way. It's a benediction, but it can also be a curse. And this that saying here in the verse, it's very good. So Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says, what is good is the potency of the dust of the feet of the devotees. So the, the devotees are essential in spiritual life. Satam prasango mamavirya sambhado bhavanti ritkarna rasayanam kita. And we have, of course, Rishabh Dev telling us that if we want to go through the dwara, the door, we need mahatseva. We need to serve the great souls. We are told we have to follow the mahajanas. And we are told that uh, we need to accept a guru, tadvadi pranipatena. We need to accept somehow the feet of the great souls, the instructions of the great souls, that this is the key. So we can think of many reasons why the great souls are a key. We can't certainly know anything about God in detail without the great souls. We can know that there is a God uh, through logic and reason and something about God through observation and logic and reason. But we can't know the real nature of God just by observation, logic and reason. We would never guess uh, that God is playing his flute and tending cows and, and so forth and just by using our observation and logic and reason. We have to know from the great souls and we wouldn't know how to connect with God without the great souls without those who are already connected you know if I want to get your contact information I have to get it from you or someone who knows you but here the specific value of the great souls is a little different uh, than those things those things are there but here it's about Krishna's affection for his devotees and the devotees are compared here to the feet of the Lord Prabhupada is saying you can tolerate the sun on your head, but not on your feet. So that Krishna can tolerate, does tolerate offenses against himself, but he doesn't tolerate offenses against his devotees. And even in an ordinary family, the parents are going to be more concerned about how their children treat each other than whether or not the children offend them. I was just speaking to one mother and she's trying to work out some program for her son, and her son wants to do something. And I said, well, if he does what he wants, how is he going to pay you back the money that he borrowed from you? And she said, you know, children take so much from their parents. If he's happy and well-situated, even if he never returns the money, that's all right. So that's the, the general mood of the parents, that even if the child commits some offense, even if the child does something wrong against the parents, the parents tend to not take it very seriously. But uh, if he owed that money to one of his brothers, uh, then the parents might become very upset. Uh, you have to pay back your brother. It becomes a different thing. So Krishna is very attached to his devotees. The devotees are under his protection. Right? Krishna is personally uh, taking care of his devotees, giving them everything they need. Yoga kshema vaham yaham. There's that famous story of you know, thinking that, well, Krishna's not doing it directly, and then Krishna and Balaram come with all the food they're carrying on their shoulders, and they say, oh, just see, we have been beaten on our back, scratched out this yoga kshema vaham yaham. Your husband has beaten us. So this is the, the glory of the devotee. The glory of the devotee is Krishna's personally taking care of the devotee, just like a loving parent personally takes care of a child. And it is not a burden for him. He is, he is complete. He has everything. So he doesn't like it when his devotees are mistreated. Uh, for himself, he can tolerate. Uh, but for the, he doesn't like it. It's, it's just natural. Right? The devotees are completely dependent on him. They are doing his bidding. They are doing his 
wish they are representing him. And on the other hand, if somebody nicely regards his devotees, then he is very happy. Again, even in ordinary life, you know, if you disrespect the diplomat, then the government becomes very offended. You know, in most countries, or maybe in all countries, it's considered a greater crime to attack a police officer than and to attack an ordinary citizen. Why? Because they're representatives of the government. And they're just a police officer, you know, just some traffic cop. Uh, they don't hold some very important position in the government. Still, if you shoot the traffic cop, it's a more serious crime than, you know, if you just shoot some other citizen. Why? Because they're representing the government. They've given their lives to the service of the government. So uh, Krishna is feeling like that. You know, when you respect his devotee, he's very pleased. When you disrespect his devotee, he's very displeased. And this is not difficult to understand once we understand that God is a person. God is not just some abstraction or just some light or something like that. And the main way that we are going to please the Lord is by how we deal with his devotees. In fact, how we deal with other living entities in general. You know, it's very interesting in the 12th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita when Krishna lists in verse 13 through 20 what makes a devotee dear to him, what makes a person dear to him. Some of it has to do with how we deal with him, undeviated devotional service and having faith and so forth. And some of it has to deal, some of it is about how we deal with just the general material energy, how we deal with matter, how we deal with happiness and distress and heat and cold. and But a lot of it is how we deal with other living entities, how we deal with friends and enemies. And there's one where we don't put anyone into difficulty and we don't, we're not disturbed by the dealings of anyone else. And this is a, a repeating theme throughout the Bhagavad Gita and the Srimad Bhagavatam, that how we deal with other living entities is a very important factor in whether or not we're dear to the Lord, how the Lord sees us. Now, it's interesting because the devotees themselves are not really very interested in how others deal with them. Right? In fact, we just said that, that for the, you, to become dear to Krishna, you're equal and kind to everyone, and you're not attached to honor and dishonor and fame and infamy and friends and enemies. So the devotees don't really care if anybody praises them or if anybody offends them. I was just speaking to one devotee whose spiritual master's Vyas Puja is, is uh, or just occurred, I suppose. And her guru was saying to her, you know, if you're going to arrange for a ceremony in your home, I want it very simple. Uh, you know, I want the main emphasis to be on Srila Prabhupada. And so... Some of her godbrothers and godsisters wanted to plan this grandiose event. And she says, but, you know, my Guru Maharaj specifically ordered me to keep it very simple. So this is generally the mood of great souls, that they don't particularly take pleasure in people honoring them and worshiping them and glorifying them, and nor are they upset if people insult them and, and people hurt them. or it just They're detached from these things. They don't really care about it. It's not important to them. Amanina manadena. So this is the mood of the devotees. Therefore, if one serves the feet of a devotee, the devotee is not particularly affected. And if one offends the feet of a devotee, the devotee is not particularly affected. But Krishna is affected. Now, of course, you may say, well, the guru instructs that one should worship him. And in fact, Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasvati wrote on this point that it seems you know, ironic or perhaps even hypocritical for a guru who's supposed to be the emblem of humility and detachment to teach the disciples to worship the guru. Uh, but that's the job, you know, because of this very fact that Krishna's pleasure is very dependent on how we treat the devotees. So it's not a, it's not a question that the devotee is interested uh, for himself or herself. So what is this dust of the feet of the devotee? What is this? What is, why particularly the dust of the feet? And, you know, we, we read this in a number of places that the devotee is not offended, but the dust is offended, or, you know, the, the dust is blessing, and so forth. 
And one's feet are generally taken as the most humble uh, part of the body. And in many cultures, people see the feet as, as being disrespectful. You know, if you touch something with your feet, that's considered disrespectful. And what to speak of the dust on the bottom of your feet. So I was uh, taking care of the, the house of a friend who's out of town, and we needed to go do some repairs in the house. So we went in the house, and it hadn't been cleaned, and I noticed that there were dust marks on the furniture. I was thinking, where did that come from? Then I realized, well, the floor was so dusty that if you touched your feet to anything, anything that you touched got covered with with dust. Uh, So that's not considered a very nice thing, right? If you put your dirty, dusty feet on some furniture and you get dirt all over the furniture, people will become uh, disturbed. So this is considered the lowest not nice thing. So the the lowest not nice thing, uh, it represents one's humility. To fall at the feet of someone, to take the dust of someone, represents a mood of humility, a mood of surrender, and a mood of devotion. And it's, it's therefore a blessing when one falls at the feet of a devotee and gets the dust from that devotee even on one's head. You know, here in Vrindavan, uh, yeah, I was at this holy name retreat the other day and we were walking from our place where we were having the kirtan at Govardhan to the ashram where the devotees were staying and we're walking on the Govardhan Parakram path and on the way the devotees walking with me they all started rolling around in the dust you know, Vrajraj they call it the king of, of Raj. So this is Govardhan's dust, if you want to take Govardhan as the best of the devotees. So this is like the dust at Govardhan's feet. So this is a sign of humility. This is a sign of of surrender. And you could say it it represents humility and surrender and devotion in general. And that Krishna has so much love for his devotees that if you're disrespectful even to this dust on the feet of the devotee, the most insignificant, uh, materially speaking, not so attractive thing, then he's not happy. In other words, if you fail to show respect, that's basically what it means. If you show respect to the devotee, you fall at their feet, you'll take the dust, you want that dust, you want that benediction, you want to have a mood of humility. And if you refuse to have humility, if you refuse to have surrender, if you refuse to have devotion to that devotee, then it's, it's as if you've offended that dust. So there are many stories in the Bhagavatam, of course also in literature like Chaitanya Charitamrita, of the results of honoring devotees and the results of insulting devotees. So there's many, many examples. Of course, there's the example in Chaitanya Charitamrita of Magrari the hunter, who served Narada and respected Narada and because of that became a saintly person, the prostitute who ended up listening to Haridasa's chanting and was respectful to him and also became a a great devotee, a great pure devotee. You know, in the Bhagavatam we have uh, Dhruva Maharaj who really respected Narada Muni and became a great devotee. I mean, we have uh, Bharat with Rishabdev, Devahuti with Kapila, uh, we have uh, Vidura with Maitreya. We have so many examples over and over and over again in the scriptures of how that just by serving and respecting, taking a mood of humility and surrender with a devotee, that one gains all spiritual perfection. Right? Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Siddhi, uh, Sarva Shastra Koi, Lava Matra, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Siddhi Hoi. And then here in this part of the Bhagavatam, we have the example of what happens when you offend the devotee. And of course, this story of Daksha with Shiva is very interesting because Daksha is the direct son of Lord Brahma. He's practically equal to Brahma. He's not born in an ordinary way. He's one of the chief Brahmanas in the universe. And he's the uh, father of Shiva's wife, so from, you know, Shiva is in one sense his, his brother because they're both born of Lord Brahma at the beginning of the universe. 
but he is feeling superior to Lord Shiva. He's Lord Shiva's father-in-law, and I'm one of the Brahmin sons. You know, Lord Shiva. It's a little hard to categorize him in terms of the varnas, but he's in. You know, he's in charge of destruction, and of course, Doctor criticizes him that he's smearing his body with crematorium ashes. That he's Bhutanath. He's in charge of the ghosts and the demons and. So on that platform, Daksha is considering himself superior. And he, Daksha takes offense at Lord Shiva's samadhi, which is also a recurring theme in the Bhagavatam. We have King uh, Indrajumna, who's cursed to become an elephant because in samadhi he didn't notice a sage approaching. We have, of course, uh, Shamaka, who's... Uh, who has the snake put around his neck by Parikshit because he's in Samadhi, and now we have a similar situation here with Lord Shiva. So Dakshin takes offense at Lord Shiva's behavior, which of course was not offensive, and in doing so, he becomes offensive. He becomes the offender. And it's interesting as this story progresses because, of course, we know that Dakshin gets a, a, you know, he, he has his goat's head, and he apologizes and all this, but then he takes birth from the Prachetas, and again, he does the same thing. He offends Narada Muni. This, this tendency to offend Vaishnavas remains in him despite his apology, despite his so-called repentance, and despite his punishment with the head of a goat. So that's quite interesting. We have the sons of Kuvera who offend Narada. In that case, it was a sin of omission rather than a sin of commission where they they simply fail to show respect to him when he's passing because they're so uh, intoxicated we have one of the most uh, amazing stories of offense in the Bhagavatam I think far more amazing than this story of Daksha is that of Durvasa and Ambarish where Durvasa gets you know so offended that Ambarish has drunk some water now you know, before giving him anything to eat, that he, he wants to kill Ambarish. So it's much more extreme. We don't have here, Daksha's not trying to kill Lord Shiva. I mean, he's insulting him, and then he doesn't invite him to the next sacrifice, but uh, he's not trying to kill him. Whereas Dravasas uses his mystic power to create a demon to kill Ambarish. And he persists in this mentality, even though he's chased all over the universe by the Sudarshan Chakra, uh, it takes him quite a while to realize that that he needs to become humble to fall at the feet of a devotee. And I'm sure we could think of many, many more examples of of where you know there's disrespect, Indra with Brahaspati, uh, you know, where he doesn't even acknowledge him. And in all of these examples, the person who's disrespectful to the devotee meets with some sort of catastrophe, you know, some some kind of real ill fortune and Prabhupada's saying here I mean it says in the verse it's very good uh, of course Prabhupada is expanding on this very good it's very good because they will fall down uh, basically in the Sanskrit it just says that this dust is very good it has a lot of power and Prabhupada's saying it's good that they will fall down in other words they're removed from the situation they're, they're removed from causing harm that offense at the feet, at the dust at the feet of a devotee, uh, is such that they're they're put into some lower species, or they're they're removed. They they can't they can't function. So the answer may may the question may be raised. So why is it that some people benefit from the dust of a devotee's feet and other people are harmed? How is that? You know, if the dust is good if the dust is shobanam, if the dust is auspicious, if it's good, then why is there this harm? And Prabhupada explains very nicely in this purport that it depends on the recipient, depends on the person. And, and this is a very interesting concept because, you know, we generally function on the principle that certain things are intrinsically spiritual and certain things are intrinsically illusion and material that that's generally how we work so we have this idea you know we'll just just touch the Bhagavatam just say the name of the Lord just take some prasadam just see the devotee and generally that's true because most people are innocent 
you know, it's so generally that's it, things do operate like that, but not always. And just like we have so many times when Shri Prabhupada and our acharyas warn us not to hear the Bhagavatam or the holy name from people who are offensive. And they'll say that's like milk touched by the lips of a serpent. So it's kind of interesting, you know. Or a Prabhupada will say if you hear Bhagavatam from professional reciters that there's no benefit. And milk touched by the lips of a serpent implies that there's not only no benefit, but there's actually some kind of harm. And, and indeed, we, we see this. We see that there are people who are preaching the Bhagavatam, they're preaching about Ras Lila and, you know, 10th Canto activities, but they're actually causing harm. Like Rupa Goswami says, you know, if, if you're doing service without reference to the scriptures, it's actually a disturbance in society. So how fascinating that, you know, people, they're chanting the holy name, they're studying the Bhagavatam, uh, they're worshipping the deity. What did Bhakti Santa say? They're using the shalagram to clack, crack nuts. But the, the effect of what they're doing is either nothing or it's actually harmful. So it's not just the thing in and of itself, but it's one's attitude. So it's not just the dust from the devotee, it's not just the holy name, it's not just the prasadam, it's, it's one's attitude. It's one's, uh, as Prabhupada said, the strength of the recipient. That some of the plants in the strong sunshine, they, they become healthy and some of them dry up. You know, when you buy different plants, in America at least, when you buy the different plants, there'll be little instructions that say full sun or full shade or part shade. You know, the, the same environment is going to be good for some plants and, you know, fatal for other plants. So it depends on, on us. And here the demarcation between how we are affected by the dust of the feet of a devotee is our identity. So we have this Kunapa Atma Vadishu. How, how we see ourselves. What is our sense of Atma? What is our sense of self? So particularly here, if one is identifying with the body, then the dust of the feet of the devotees may actually prove to be one's downfall, may prove to, to curse one. And we can see that, you know, it's pretty obvious here in the sense of Daksha, who's thinking that from the bodily calculation that he is superior to Lord Shiva. He's, he's not going to humble himself by falling at the dust of Lord Shiva's feet. But I was thinking in general about bodily identification kind of beyond Daksha particularly. And as soon as we think that we're this body, then this body being extremely fragile, uh, definitely subject to death, uh, but even extremely fragile. I mean, some little tiny microorganism can cause us to be extremely ill and in pain and, and disabled, you know, just a little contact with some tiny little virus or bacteria. Uh, is, it can be devastating for us. Or some little bump, you know, you just bump into something and your bone is broken. And, you know, we're, we're in such a fragile state if we identify with the body we identify with the mind. And so we're constantly in anxiety. As soon as we have this bodily identification, we're in constant anxiety about just existing. And this anxiety translates not only to, you know, does the body have shelter, does the body have food, etc., but it also translates to our concepts of uh, status on the social platform. And that's, if you just think about it very logically, uh, you know, the higher your status is in a society, the more access you have to resources. You know, if you have a higher status, you can live in a nicer house, you can get better food, uh, people take more care of you, and so forth and so on. So if you're thinking that you're the body, you're going to be interested in status. You're going to be interested in how you appear to others. And you're going to be calculating who you're going to respect. You know, what is going to show respect to those who are going to be able to give you resources and give you facility. 
And you want those who are lower than you to show you respect because that way you keep your status and you keep your access to resources and you keep your access to that uh, which will make you healthy and, and make you, you know, keep you alive and keep your identity. And then identity in relation to the body is, is also itself related to one's social status because one's thinking... I belong to a certain nationality, I belong to a certain family, I belong to a certain you know, economic group, to a certain vocational group, and so forth. And all of that identity has to do with this, this etiquettes of how we treat one another in the world. So the problem is, though, that a great devotee may be apparently of a lower social status, you know, if the only devotees that we're going to respect and fall at the dust of their feet are of a higher social status, then when there's a devotee of a lower social status, we're going to be disrespectful. And so this bodily concept of life is going to push us to disrespect devotees. And even if we respect devotees who happen to be materially of a higher status, it's not going to be real respect. We're going to be respecting them in terms of their material status with a view to getting something from them. I just saw today one devotee posted on social media a photograph from Moscow of a Russian woman blessing an Indian man by taking, you know, they take that hat that they put at the feet of the deities and they touch it to people's head. So she's taking that hat, that metal helmet, and she's touching it to the feet of this Indian gentleman who has his head bowed. And the person who posted this photograph was just noting that here there was a, a white woman, a white Russian woman, who had the position of a priest. And this sort of concept is very difficult for those in the bodily, in, in bodily awareness, in, in, in bodily mentality. You know, they, they just can't think like that. And therefore they end up committing offenses. You know, whether they end up committing offenses because they think, well, Haridas Thakur, he's just a Muslim or, or something like that, or this person is just a Russian, or this person is a woman, or, or this person is younger, you know, this person is younger in age, or this person got initiated after me, or, or something like that, or this person is the disciple of my uh, guru's godbrother, or whatever, you know... It, some kind of calculation where we're seeing that someone is inferior to us and therefore we don't offer them proper respect. So this is why the bodily concept, I'm sure there's many more reasons, this is, these are some reasons why as soon as we're in the bodily concept we're going to tend to disrespect the sadhus. Another reason actually just occurred to me is that when you're in the bodily concept of life, as Prabhupada writes, I think it's in the fourth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, that you consider, third or fourth, maybe third chapter, that you consider spiritual realization to be a myth, and therefore you're not interested. So another reason people in the bodily concept tend to disrespect the dust at the feet of sadhus is they tend to be disrespectful towards religion and God in general. You know, they think, well, an actually intelligent person a scientifically minded person, you know, they're not interested in God. They, yeah, all right, sure, if you want to worship God a few times a year or whatever. But they, they can't understand the concept of somebody who's really dedicated themselves to spirituality. In fact, they see such people as being social parasites or distractions. You know, Mark's talking about the opiate, religion is the opium of the people. And I think people in the bodily concept of life are also disrespectful for those kind of reasons. You know, they, they tend to be disrespectful to religion and therefore they're disrespectful to people who represent religion. So this is a key to our spiritual life. Amanina, Manadena, Kirtaniya, Siddhahari. How much do we respect others? How much are we willing to humble ourselves to others? Now, it shouldn't be... It shouldn't be sentimental. I mean, we need to humble ourselves authentically. This is another kind of side point, but an important one. I've been speaking with one devotee, good friend of mine, who has a tendency to give too much. She actually gives what she's not willing to give, and then there's all kinds of strings attached, you know. 
So she apparently shows all kinds of respect to people and she apparently gives people uh, all kinds of things. But then when she doesn't get the reciprocation that she wants, uh, then she's not a very pleasant person to be around. And so people don't actually appreciate her show of humility because it's manipulative. She's actually trying, by her show of humility, she's trying to subtly uh, manipulate or, or psychologically force other people to do what she wants. So, although we should completely humble ourselves as the devotees, we should do it authentically. We should humble ourselves as ourselves. Uh, we should be we should be true to ourselves. That we fall at the feet, we fall at the dust of the devotees, but in an authentic way, being true to ourselves, being true to our personality, being true to what we need for our own. Uh, sanity for our own progress otherwise it becomes you know like charity in the mode of passion where we give something because okay I'm supposed to give everything to this devotee because that's what it says in the scriptures and, but then we just resent it later and we're, we become angry when we don't get what we want and, and so forth and so on so it, it is also important that this is this kind of falling at the dust of the devotee is done with knowledge, it's done authentically, and it's not done just in a sentimental, fanatic way, uh, which, which leads to all kinds of problems. I mean, we see that practically. We see so many people who so-called surrender and so-called uh, are acting in humility, and later they just become bitter and angry and resentful. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't fall down at the dust of the feet of the devotee. It just means that we should do it authentically, and maybe that means that at a certain stage uh, we were honestly not as surrendered as we would like to be. But we still take steps forward, take steps forward to whatever extent that we can do that, to whatever extent that we can authentically fall at the feet of a devotee, and at least never to offend the devotees. If we can't authentically be fully humble and we can't authentically be fully surrendered, if you know, if if we're only able to do that partially and be genuine, at least we shouldn't be offensive. We shouldn't be disrespectful to anybody. To anybody. I mean, why single out the devotees? We shouldn't be disrespectful to anyone because you know we don't know. Juva's stepmother Saruchi was disrespectful to him before he became a great devotee, and it caused her ruination. And we have Vitrasura. Uh, Vitrasura appeared to be a great demon but actually he was a Vaishnava and when Indra killed him Indra had to suffer for that so better to respect everybody Jivara Sarupaya Krishna so everyone is ultimately a devotee so we should give respect to everyone never offend anyone he for whom no one is put into difficulty uh, so that is uh, that is a very important principle. But especially those who have clearly, obviously dedicated themselves to the service of the Lord, uh, those who are, who are engaged uh, without any doubt, very explicitly in the Lord's service, uh, even uh, they may not be the highest caliber of devotee. Uh, still we should fall at their feet. It was that Jadu Thakur who took the foot water and the foot dust and the prasadam remnants from all the devotees even the beginning devotees. So this is this practice of being humble with the devotees is both a sadhana and it's an indication of our surrender to Krishna. It's both. You know, it's something we should practice and it's also kind of a, a self-evaluative tool. How do I feel when I meet the devotees? Do I feel joyful? Do I feel surrendered? Do I want to fall at their feet? Or am I looking for any reason to try to posit myself as being better than them? You know, it's such a tendency of the mind that whenever I meet anybody, I'm just thinking of all the ways in which I'm superior to them and all the reasons that I don't need to surrender, that I don't need to fall at their feet, that I don't need to be respectful. And such is, a, is the real indicator of our devotion and ultimately is the key, kirtaniya sadahari. It's the key to whether we can be absorbed in Krishna consciousness. And I think for many of us, this humility and this respect is just such a block 
in our spiritual life. You know, we may not go as far as Daksha and get our head cut off and walk around with a goat's head. We might as well be walking around with a goat's head with how foolish we look to the Lord for our, our stubborn pride and our, our is foolish based on, on nothing, based on our, our sandcastles in, in the world. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions... as being uh, the personification of humility almost. So something striking about this verse that you also talked about is how the dust also has the capacity to cause harm. And so it's this sort of mix of something which is itself very humble and also causing harm that is that is particularly striking and uh, arresting. You have a a picture in your book on the great mantra for mystic meditation yes of, of, where there's a devotee on the, the street corner and the devotee is lifting his hand in blessing but then the dust from his feet is rising up and it seems to be attacking yes uh, this this person so um, there's the story of the big Vijay Pandit and Rupa Goswami Sanatana Goswami and Jiva Goswami the Jiva the uh, Dikvijay Pandit came through Vrindavan and wanted to get a certificate of victory from everyone. And so he wanted to debate uh, Rupa Goswami and Sanatana Goswami, and they didn't want to bother with this. So they just said, we'll just sign your certificate of victory. We don't need to debate with you. And then the Dikvijay Pandit was very happy, and he was going to go on his way. But then Jiva Goswami thought, how, this is, this is very insulting to the honor of my masters, uh, Rupa Goswami and Sanatana Goswami, how can people think that, that they were defeated by this this big Vijay Pandit? Yes. And then he went and and defeated him. So in a way that doesn't seem, in a way that's kind of not humble, but in a way that's kind of uh, also attacking the big, big Vijay Pandit in, in, in the Brahmin way is, is by debating with him. Um, and then there's there's more to the story. But anyway, if, if you could uh, talk about this this sort of very subtle aspect of humility, and uh, on the at the same time uh, uh, pushing down pushing down the the other uh, living living being. Well, you know, if if you're let's say that you're a police officer and somebody is disrespectful to you, you're not taking it that they're disrespectful to you. You know, Sally Smith or John Smith. You're taking it that they're disrespectful to the government. And it's the same, you know, if you want to go higher up, if you're a diplomat, or you're, you know, the Secretary of State, and you're, you're the American Secretary of State, and you're visiting, you know, France, and if the French government is disrespectful to you as the Secretary of State. So you're not supposed to take that as, well, they're disrespectful to me, you know, John Smith or Sally Smith. You're taking it that they've disrespected your government. So the devotee has no concern about personal honor and dishonor at all. I mean, otherwise you're not really a devotee. A, a, a great devotee... A, it's just they just don't really care if anybody honors them or dishonors them or they get fame or infamy or it's auspicious or inauspicious. I mean, these are the qualities that Krishna mentions in the Bhagavad Gita. So the devotee doesn't doesn't care, and the devotee is the well wisher of everyone. You know, the mood of the devotee is to wish everyone well, but at the same time. If somebody is offensive, if someone is disrespectful to the devotee because the devotee is a devotee, if the reason that they're disrespectful is, oh, you're a devotee of God, I don't like devotees of God, that's an affront to Krishna. And you would see, you know, Srila Prabhupada, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta, they would become extremely upset when somebody was offensive to Krishna. 
And sometimes they would be upset when somebody was disrespectful to them as a way of being offensive to Krishna. You know, when, when the disrespect that was shown to them was actually disrespect to Krishna, they would become furious. And then you have Krishna's mood, that it's Krishna who gets angry when his devotee is offended. So even if a person is offending the devotee just on a personal level, then Krishna is, is upset. And that's, that's symbolized, you could say, by this dust from the devotee's feet. But on their own account, the devotee's not affected at all. They don't, they don't care at all. But yeah, you know, if some, if some diplomat or the secretary of state or even a police officer, I mean, if they tolerate and they're just shrug off disrespect shown to them that's actually disrespect to their government, then they're not doing their job. That's, that's part of their job. It's, it's part of what's required of them. And uh, that it's, that's not uh, incompatible with humility. Without that, they're Thank not you. really a good servant. It, it would be very disrespectful. Mother Earl, could you speak more on the subject of <clears throat> acting with genuine humility when you don't have a lot of genuine humility? Well, act with whatever you have. <laughs> Take whatever you got and use that and try to push yourself out of your comfort zone a few millimeters. You know, just use, just be authentic. If all you've got is a few grains of humility, then use that and try to make a millimeter of progress. I mean, it, it's not hard to make a little bit of progress in, in humility if you just think about yourself for a couple seconds. You know, I mean, who of us doesn't feel humble if we actually think about our, our position? It doesn't take very long. I mean, we're so, so, so insignificant. It, it's just, we're so insignificant and we're so helpless and we're so foolish. And I think that all of us are reminded of this every day. I, I, you know, I, I think it's multiple times a day how helpless we are, how it's so easy to become injured it's so easy to offend others. It's so easy to make a mistake. You know, it's just so easy. And we, we do it all the time. I don't know. I, I mess up every day something. And just, we're just so, so, so insignificant. You know, most of the 7 billion people on the earth don't know that we exist and they don't care. And that's true even for the majority of people we interact with. They, they really just don't care anything about us at all. And, you know, it just, that's, that's reality. That's what it is. And we're so foolish, you know, we think we know so much and we don't really know very much. So I, I don't think it's difficult to advance in humility if you just give it you know, five or six seconds of thought on as soon as you find you're becoming proud. It's just like, really? <laughs> what exactly am I being proud about here? <laughs> you know, it's, it, 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 it's not difficult to go forward in humility. Well, anyway, whatever we have, whatever real humility we have, we all have some real humility and bow down with that. that that's meaningful. Nice. Better to do a little thing that's meaningful than a big thing that's phony, you know. Nice. I don't know if you guys can hear the wedding music in the background here, but... The Indian weddings are such that even though it's like three blocks away, it sounds like they're right outside your door. Does anyone else have a no, question? You can't hear anything. You can't hear anything? Okay, it's really loud. No. Anybody else have any question? I put a question in the chat. Oh, chat, okay. If I go up to the chat. No, I was just wondering if... So if we create offenses and criticize 
people, uh, devotees, etc., and then later on they become quite advanced in their devotional service, then those offenses are retroactive. They're going to come back. Isn't that awful? Is that what happened? Yeah, that's what happened to Suruchi. Now, one thing is Suruchi never apologized. It's, it's quite an interesting story. So, of course, Krishna already said what would happen to her before she had a chance to apologize, but she never did. So, I mean, Suruchi was really nasty, first of all. You know, she's like, you can't even sit on your father's lap, and you're not going to inherit the kingdom, you have to die and become my son. I mean, that's pretty extreme. I, that, that's pretty extreme even on the level of, of the family, you know, just on a normal level. I mean, my stepmother did the same thing to me, almost word for word. You know, she disinherited me, and she, she disinherited me from my mother's estate, and she said, you know, she, she ended up hijacking the money from my mother's estate, and she said, you have to get this money through me, not through your mother. So it was, which she didn't even give it, through herself, but that's another thing. But that's very much what Saruchi said. She said, you know, you have to take birth as my child. So even in an ordinary family sense, that's really pretty nasty. And, you know, Lord Vishnu said that she and her son would both die because of that offense. But it's interesting, when Dhruva comes back from the forest, um, Saruchi says to him, long may you live. So she takes the mood of a mother in blessing the son but she does not apologize. She's not repentant. And even more interesting is this here with Daksha, because Daksha does apologize to Lord Shiva after he gets his goat's head. You know, he does apologize. But it must not have been a very genuine apology, because he goes and does pretty much the same thing in his next life, to Narada. You know, so is. I would say, you know, from the statement that the devotee's sinful activities are burned up in the fire of repentance, that we have so many things that we've done that we can suffer for. I mean, I think the list, at least for me, is is pretty long, especially if I'm going to consider all of my lifetimes, it gets a little overwhelming. But the point is to become repentant, and I think the point with repentance is, is a genuine empathy. You know, what Saruchi needed to do was understand how Dhruva felt. I mean, gosh, he was a five-year-old boy and he couldn't play on his father's lap. It, you know, how did he feel about that? I mean, it wasn't his fault that his father favored one wife over the other. You know, like it wasn't my fault that my father divorced my mother and married another woman. And, and for that, why should I become disinherited from my father's money? You know, it was it was very painful. So, Saruchi didn't try to connect with Dhruva's pain. She didn't try to connect with him as a person or care about him. And Daksha didn't try to connect with Lord Shiva. He, he wasn't... You know, he didn't even bother to think that Lord Shiva's in, in meditation and he's in samadhi. And, and he's not really being disrespectful. So, I think that that's what's required, you know... We are going to commit offenses against devotees. That's we just are, unless you're a very extraordinary person. Uh, I would take it for granted that we've offended devotees, and that I would also take it for granted that even after coming to Krishna consciousness, we sometimes do things that are that are just sinful, that are you know that are would generate bad karma, and we have to be repentant, and we have to try in that repentance, if we can. Uh, to, to give restitution if it's appropriate you know and, and to, to somehow or other try to actually demonstrate that we understand what we've done wrong that we've understood how our actions caused harm and to try our best not to do it again and to try our best to, to try to generally recti- genuinely rectify what we've done I mean whether that means you know, apologizing to the person in a, in a real way, whether that means restoring something. I mean, that's... But we should take it like that. We shouldn't have the mood of 
well, karmadi nirdhatikin tu jabakti jabajam, you know, the devotee doesn't get any kind of karma, and therefore I can just be nonchalant about the things that I've done that have caused people harm. You know, I, that's not... That's not going to help us. So it is It is late here. It's 10.37 at night for me. And uh, I do like to get up... Can I jump in? I do like to get up early in the morning. So, and I'm... Uh, if it's really quick, Prabhu, nice to hear your voice. Dhanabhats. Um, uh, <coughs> my understanding is that Narada was cursed by Dakshin before the a sacrifice where he was offended Shiva. No. No, it was an, it was a subsequent lifetime. Hmm. Anyway, I really like you quoting uh, twelve five uh, about uh, he who no one is put into difficulty. A Vaishnava doesn't give trouble to anyone and uh I, I was telling a, a senior leader uh, of the movement. I think it's twelve fifteen. I think it's. I think you mean twelve fifteen. I'm pretty sure it's in fifteen. Yeah, twelve yeah. fifteen. Yeah. So, he, and he came back with, "Well, we're aspiring devotees," and then uh, my response: was, "Getting trouble to others, getting trouble to others is not aspiring. No, that's that's a, an act of will, right?" That's not aspiring. So anyway. Well, I think I think what possibly that person may be saying is, as aspiring Vaishnavas, we probably will give trouble trouble to others. But we, as aspiring Vaishnavas, we ha- we do well if we want to please Krishna, to make an effort to do good to others rather than to give them trouble. And if we do end up giving them trouble, because we are just aspiring Vaishnavas, then we need to rectify. I mean, I'm just thinking, so, I was, as I said, I was trying to take care of somebody else's house today, and they had a plumbing problem. They're out, they're, they're out of town. And, um, so it's been like three or four times that I've been over at the house with, with plumbers and with the people supervising the plumbers. So, the person who owns the house wanted something done, but the local people are trying to do something else. Anyway, so the person, the supervisor came over with the plumber today and he said, so we're doing this and this and this and this. And I said, I, I, I got irritated. And I said, you're just not listening. You know, you're just not listening to what the owner of the house is saying that they want. And immediately I looked at the person's face and the person was, was hurt. You know, the, the supervisor man, he was, he was hurt. He was, it, it, it hurt his feelings. And then I immediately stopped and I said, oh, I, I just didn't explain it properly. My, my mistake. My problem with communication. I should have explained it better. This is actually what the owner wants. This is what they, you know... And then a couple minutes later, I said to the same person, oh, it's, you know, I'm really glad you're doing this. I found a way to praise him. So, you know, I did put somebody into difficulty. And, and then I, I tried to notice that I put somebody into difficulty. And then I tried to rectify it and, and actually soften it and, and make them feel better. I don't know if that pleased Krishna or not, but I tried. So I think that's what we have to do. It, we have to pay attention, and when we do offend somebody, when we do put someone into difficulty, when we do insult somebody, when we do hurt people's feelings, to notice it, <laughs> you know, to pay attention and not just be absorbed in our own mind. And when we do notice it, to, to do our best to fix it. Sometimes you can't fix it, but, but to do our best and, and hope that Krishna's pleased with our effort. If we're kind of nonchalant about it and say, well, I'm just an aspiring Vaishnava so I can offend people left and right and oh well, you know, then I don't know what we are, but uh, I think we better work on that. Right. Matiji, a thousand, thousand thanks to you for doing this late, late at night. Well, it's not that late. It's not that late. You sound like it's one in the morning. I mean, it's just 10.40. 
But uh, we were having a whole discussion before class, and we would all be brain dead if it was this late for most of us. Well, I am. I am half brain dead. I haven't been able to remember most of the slokas I would have already. I would have otherwise quoted. But uh, I kept trying to think of verses, and my brain was too tired to think of any. We are so thankful to you, Mataji. Well, thank you for giving me an opportunity. Yeah, I actually tried to take a little nap today, and that was when the plumber and the supervisor came over, so that didn't work out very well. All right, anyway, thank you for giving me an opportunity to uh, speak on the Bhagavatam about humility with devotees. Maybe I'll actually listen to my own class and become humble. Thank Shiva you. Thank you, thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.